Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dropping In Surf Show. My name is Rob Case. I am a paddling technique coach located in Northern California. I teach surfers how to catch more waves with less effort. And in today's episode, I'm going to do a, a paper review or a study review from the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. Uh, this report, even though it's from 2003, this report has driven uh, an entire section of my level two course. So the information contained in this paper and, in, and contained in papers that preceded it that they reference has really formed a, an entire section or subsection, I should say, of my level two course. My level one course is all about paddling technique for efficiency, speed, and injury prevention. And level two is really about wave catching and sprint technique. While this paper doesn't go into paddling technique, a big part of level two about catching a wave is being in the right place. It's reading a wave as it's coming into the beach. It's knowing the conditions before you go out. What are the waves that you're searching for? And really reading the ocean. And so in level two, we talk about positioning. We talk about timing. We talk about the sprint technique. We talk about getting out uh, and the strategies and techniques around that. And we talk about the pop-up strategy uh, or technique to get up onto your feet. And then I pass it off to other surf coaches to teach you how to surf a wave really well. But one big part of it, positioning and timing, and even getting out strategy and decision-making comes a lot from the principles and information that's outlined in this technical report. And so I want to review this report with you guys uh, so that you have a little bit of background and maybe you can start to piece some of the techniques together yourselves and get out there and start to see some of these things that we're going to outline in this episode. So it is an older report. It's from 2003, but a lot of the concepts still hold up very strongly. And keep in mind, these are concepts, these are concepts that you can turn into techniques that a lot of experienced surfers use all the time, but they don't even know it. It's, it's techniques that they've learned over the years of surfing the same spot over and over and over again. They know that the wave is going to break right here or right there or how it's going to break or what waves they're looking for as it comes in. And the way they know that is through lots of images in their head, in their brain of what those waves look like as they're coming in and what they do when they break. And they've seen it day after day after day after day after year after year after year after decade after decade. So what I'm going to try to outline for you is this information is going to save you decades worth of watching waves come into the beach. Now, that's not to say that you're going to be able to immediately start to see these things. You still need to go out and you need to get those reps, those brain reps in so that you can see waves over and over and over again. But you're going to be looking for things like this. And then you make the connections a lot faster. And what's even better, what gives you an advantage, even over the experienced surfers in that sense, is that you understand why. If you can understand why a wave is breaking the way it's breaking, you can take that why and you can apply it to any spot in the world. And so my level two, one of the, my main goals in level two, it's, it's to teach you how to catch a wave with no effort at all, for one, but to also go to any break in the world and within 
I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of being in the water, figure that spot out and be able to navigate around the crowd and to identify waves that the crowd is not identifying so that you can catch more waves. So keep that in mind that experienced surfers, this is the stuff they already know. They know this stuff, but they had to take years and years and years of watching waves come in at their local break to really understand this. And not to say that you're going to immediately you know, be able to apply it all right off the bat, but if you do the same kind of method of watching waves come in with this knowledge, you're going to make the connections a lot faster. So let's get to it. So this, this report was actually uh, developed by uh, two different groups, this Coastal Environments Group uh, out of La Jolla and ASR Limited out of New Zealand. Now, ASR, I don't know if they're still around, actually, uh, but they make artificial reefs. And so when you look at kind of what, what is the goal of this paper, well, the goal of this paper um, really was to, to codify language so that you know coastal planners, engineers, policy makers can uh, speak the same language as 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 surfers, and that everybody can can now use the same language and communicate the same things so that they can develop case studies on why you should preserve a surf break, why. Um, you should maybe put an artificial reef in. Why maybe you know the uh, Surf Rider Foundation should preserve a, a break, or or maybe it could bring economic uh, bounty to a, a region, like for example the most recent uh, El Salvador contest. Um, so it's basically just merging the the slang of surfers with the technical language of scientists and policymakers. So that was kind of their goal of the paper. Um, because of that goal, there is a you can sense when you read it. There's a little bit of bias towards you know, hey, let's put an artificial reef in this area, and they're they're kind of setting it up so that they can use this paper as evidence, um, so that they can put an artificial reef in somewhere uh, to a municipality or a town or a city. Um, but with that being said, we still get a ton of great information out of this. Um, it breaks down into three different sections. So first, the types of waves that, that surfers prefer. Um, that's It's described. It's what are the parameters that make up a good wave. And that's something that's really important for us to know when we're looking for waves. Now, now you could be in maybe an intermediate or low intermediate surfer and kind of have an idea of what a good wave looks like. Um, but until you ride it, you never really know if that's, that, that was a good wave for you. What we find out is that skill level also plays a part of whether or not it's a quote good wave for that particular person. Um, so the first part is just basically what are the preferred types of waves? The second part, um, is, uh, it basically shows that the wave type determines the skill, the, the required surfing skill level, and the maneuver types that can be performed on it. So that basically just means that not every wave that breaks, a surfer at a certain particular level can surf it, or a surfer at a particular level uh, can do certain maneuvers. Even the best surfers in the world can't do a particular maneuver on a part of a wave or on a type of wave, or it's not really preferred. 
uh, to do that. And then the last section talks about the features, the, the underwater bathymetry seabed features that cause waves to transform well for surfing. And that's very important that, you know, there's lots of features underneath the water that we can't see that transform this swell into a wave. But what are those features and what combinations of those components and features make up a really good wave? So obviously this is kind of where they were leading the study in the report too was, hey, we can make artificial reefs with these features. Um, so, you know, that being said, aside from that motive or possible motive, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, speculating at that motive, but, but what these features actually tell us is some of these features allow us to catch waves way easier than other features. And so what are those features that we as surfers are looking for that, that create these really, really good situations for us to catch waves easily? So all three sections are actually quite useful to us. Um, it goes through the history of surfing and surf research. We're not going to go into that. Um, and then it gives kind of like a, a high-level view of the characteristics of, of surfing waves. Not just waves, but surfing waves specifically. Um, not verb surfing waves, but adjective surfing waves, a wave that you can surf on. Um, so surfers desire waves where the breakpoint peels along the wave crest. So this is not language that we would use on a normal basis, but this is kind of where they're trying to merge the, the lingo, colloquial surfer language with scientific language. So these are the kind of the scientific terms that we're going to be talking about. The break point. The break point is, you know, that, that pocket, the break point and the peel along the wave crest. So there's some, some language in there that we use, the peel we use a lot. And then the wave crest, we never really talk about the wave crest, but that's kind of the top of the wave, right? So the, they surf just ahead of the advancing wave crest within the wave pocket. And they put it wave pocket in quotes, um, where most of the wave's power is located. So this next line I found really interesting. It says, unless they're beginners, surfers are not satisfied with riding waves that do not peel. So think about that for a second. A wave that doesn't peel, it breaks, but it doesn't peel left or right. It just kind of goes straight. So think of like a Waikiki Queens wave. Um, or a San Onofre wave, like old man's, um, something that's just uh, just kind of like a mush and then goes, bleh, you know, it just goes towards the beach. Now, for beginners, that's fantastic. You know, that's a, that's a fantastic beginner wave because they get a lot of reps paddling into the wave, catching the wave, getting up to their feet. But there's, for, for advanced surfers or for, from surfers that are, that are further along, that's only fun for so long, right? So if the... If the wave peels, that's really what we're looking for. And they say together, the speed at which the wave peels and the breaker type, meaning a plunge, I'm going to use scientific terms here, plunging versus spilling versus, you know, those are really the only two that we would surf. Um, but the, the wave, the, the speed at which the wave peels and the breaker type determine the skill level required to surf a wave as well as the types of maneuvers that can be performed. Okay, so the skill level required to surf a wave and the type of maneuver that you can do on that wave are based on the speed at which the wave peels and the breaker type. And we're going to get into 
wave peels and breaker types and stuff. But this is just kind of setting the tone. Um, and then they, they go on to say, hey, you know what? There's lots of different types of surfing. There's there's body surfing. There's body boarding. There's, there's, there's um, uh, body surfing, right? And so there's all these types of surfing. For this report, they're really focusing on shortboard surfing. However, um, these concepts apply to all types of surfing, of, of waves that can be surfed and can, can be ex extrapolated to other surfing styles. Um, surf, so for example, for example, longboarders desire waves with higher peel angles and lower breaker intensities than shortboarders. Bodyboarders desire waves with more extreme breaker intensities. So I've thrown out a couple of the term, terms that we're going to learn about that describe waves and, and, and right there, that statement, if you kind of convert it into to, to normal language, it would be longboarders want something that's a little bit slower of a wave, a little bit less, you know, a little bit more mushy, less barely. And bodyboarders want something that's like really, you know, steep and hollow and intense, right? So we're now we're going to get into the first section. The very first section is surfing wave parameters. So these... <laughs> These four are the most important wave parameters. Um, and it says here that any wave that can be surfed can be described using only these four variables. Now, there, there are things that, that are subcategories to this, to these four, but I would agree with this. This says any waves that you can surf can be described using only these four variables. Um, and they are uh, breaking wave height, wave peel angle, wave breaking intensity. We've talked about those two in the previous previous uh, paragraph. And wave section length, section length. Okay, so just think about that. If you're trying to describe a wave, you always talk about the size of it, right? you never really talk about the peel angle if you even know what the peel angle is. You, you'd basically say, oh, it was, it was a left or it was a right, or it was a left point break, right point break, it was a beach break. Um, the wave breaking intensity might be like, oh yeah, it was really barreling versus mushing. Um, and then the wave section length and be like, yeah, um, I surfed it for 300 yards and it was the same wave for 300 yards. Or you can say, you would usually say, oh yeah, it was a beach break, it was really sectiony. Uh, right, and so this is just you know bridging the gap between what we hear on a day-to-day -day basis to what we're reading about here. So I think wave height, wave height, kind of we're going to go into each one of these individually, but wave height is pretty self-explanatory, except that oceanographers they explain how oceanographers uh, define wave height versus surfers, and I thought this was hilarious because I you know I actually laughed laughed out loud when I was when I was reading this. It says oceanographers measure wave height from crest to the trough of the wave, which is the scientific way to measure wave height. It says groups of surfers develop their own definitions of wave heights, which is completely true, right? Um, which can be slightly larger or smaller than the distance from crest to trough. Um, even though I laugh at that, I still, I do that still as well. Um, but all we need to know from this section essentially is that wave height is one of the important wave parameters um, for the analysis of a wave that you can surf. So is it big enough to surf? 
You know, we always we were always going to describe a wave that we can surf in terms of height, right? That's always going to be a parameter. It's kind of a given, right? At the end of the day, this ends up being kind of one of the least important of the four in my mind because these other three make such a big difference in what I look for in waves that I want to surf um, and what my goal is. My goal primarily is wave count whenever I go out and surf. I'll, I'll, I'll give on wave height if I can get a lot of really good peeling waves with in higher intensity and good sex good sections of a wave right so i, I you know I'll, I'll 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 sit on the inside and, and catch the one to two footers versus the five foot sets that are coming through um if the peel angle is better um and let's say the breaking intensity is the same um so i i would argue that wave height actually is the least important of the four wave peel angle Wave peel angle is defined as the angle between the trail of the broken whitewater and the crest of the unbroken wave as it propagates shoreward. Now, let me explain what that means. Um, because when you read that, it doesn't make a ton of sense until you have a visual. And for those of you guys that are listening to this episode versus watching it, you're not going to be able to actually see the visual that I'm about to put on the screen. Uh, so I'm going to try to describe this for you. Peel angle is defined as the angle between the trail of the broken whitewater. What trail of broken whitewater? It's the trail of the whitewater of the previous wave. Okay, so this is this is important to know that there is a trail of whitewater. If you watch a wave break and you were to look at it from above from a drone looking straight down, you would see a trail of whitewater. And where that whitewater meets non-white water, you know, regular water. That's the trail that they're talking about. It's the broken white water. It's the path that the white water goes through. So it's the angle between that path, the trail of the broken white water, and the crest of the unbroken wave. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The wave hasn't broken yet. So how do you have a white water trail and an unbroken wave at the same time? You don't. So that's why it's important when you look at the visual here, it's the path of the wave that preceded the wave crest of the wave coming in, the unbroken wave coming in. So the swell that's coming in, the next swell that's coming in, uh, and, the, and the trail of the whitewater of the previous wave, that's the angle. That's peel angle, okay? So peel angle, once again, it is the swell coming in, and that's one line. And then where that line meets the trail of the path of the previous wave, that makes up the angle that we're talking about. Okay, so if, you, if you're still confused, take a look at the YouTube video so that you can get a visual on what peel angle is. This is very, very important. So I'm going to describe it a little bit more. Peel angles range from zero to 90 degrees, okay? With low angles creating fast waves and high angles creating slow waves, meaning peeling waves, slow peeling waves, or they're saying fast surfing waves and high angles create slow surfing waves. Uh, an angle of zero degrees is described as a closeout. So think about that. So if the path of the wave that came before is straight across and it's even, it's, it's a zero degree to the next wave that's coming in, that was a closeout wave that preceded it. And it's most likely going to be a closeout again. And that's, that's an important point that 
we are using historical information. We're using historical data, the path of the previous wave to determine what that next wave might do. Okay. So a zero degree peel angle is a closeout. A 90 degree peel angle is like a Waikiki wave. It doesn't peel left or right. It just goes straight, just goes straight into the beach. Okay. So hopefully peel angle definition is pretty squared away. Now it goes on to say, now it adds a new term, but it doesn't actually say that this is a new term. Wave peel rate, not peel angle, wave peel rate describes how fast the wave breakpoint advances laterally along the wave crest. So again, let me translate that. The wave peel rate is how fast, if we're looking at the wave now straight on from the parking lot, how fast is that wave peeling left or right at the break point? So in the pocket, right? And so that's what, that's what we mind surf all the time. We sit there and we're looking in the parking, we're from the parking lot, we're looking out at the waves and we're just kind of mind surfing. We're like, okay, boom, bottom turn there, boom. Oh, I'm going to take off right there. And this is a really important point. I, before I, I learned all of this, I was on a boat trip in the Mentawais, and this is my first trip to Indonesia. And this was, gosh, I mean, must have been surfing for a few years at this point. Um, I was with surfers that were much more experienced than I was. I was probably, you know, I'd probably been surfing five years or so, but surfing consistently, like dedicated for maybe three. Okay. So we pull up at our very first, we wake up in the morning, we pull up at our very first break and we're looking at it from the back and it's kind of mushy and slow. And I look across the bay and I see this firing left, like it's going top to bottom. It's sucking out. It's like, oh my goodness. It was insane. I'm like, why are we surfing that? And the surf guide's like, nah, you don't want to surf that. And then my friends pop up and they're like, yeah, that thing's too fast. I'm like, what? How do, how do you know it's too fast? How do you know it's, how can you look at a wave and say, no, that's too fast? Well, it has everything to do with this concept of peel angle is that the peel angle was too low. Remember, low is a fast moving wave. High peel angle is a slow moving wave. If you have to, you have to think about first, you have to catch the wave, get up to your feet and turn. Right. And at that point, you don't have a ton of down the speed velocity. So if the wave peel rate and the peel angle are very fast, it's going to outrun you. So, again, in my inexperience, I couldn't identify that. Right. And they couldn't describe it to me. But now, when I saw this, it makes all the sense in the world. Okay. So getting back to peel rate, why do they introduce a new term here? And it's not a section. It's not, it's not a section that describes a good surfing wave peel angle. They're using peel angle. So they're saying, um, surfers must surf at least as fast as the wave peel rate in order to stay in front of the wave breakpoint or to stay in the pocket, right? Peel angle is closely related to wave peel rate because they both relate to how fast a wave is breaking. All right, so peel rate and peel angle are very related. Peel rate would technically be a more accurate parameter to use because 
it would be the same wave. You're looking at an individual wave A and its peel rate is a certain uh, speed, meaning distance over time, right? Going left to right or right to left. And peel angle uses historical whitewater trail with the now swell that you're looking at. So you can see where I would think peel right would be a much better, more accurate parameter to use. However, it's difficult. It's difficult. They're saying they recommend using peel angle because it can be more accurately numerically modeled and is more sensitive to maneuver type. Okay, so some really interesting things there. Um, we're going to continue on with peel angle, but just keep that in mind that peel rate is closely related, but not the same. All right. Now we're going to move on to the next one. And this one, I, I really like this one. Wave breaking intensity. Oh man, just it that just sounds crazy, right? Intensity. Wave breaking intensity. Okay, so wave breaking intensity is essentially how hard the wave breaks. Okay. Now it 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 this is a longer section that describes what affects wave break breaking intensity, and there are more things that affect it. But they, they do outline kind of what the main things are. First of all, they, they introduce a term called orthogonal seabed gradient. It says orthogonal seabed gradient is the dominant variable controlling wave breaker intensity. So basically they're saying that orthogonal seabed gradient is the number one variable causing wave breaking intensity to be high or to be low. Now, what the heck is orthogonal seabed gradient? Are they just trying to confuse us more? So orthogonal means 90 degrees. It means you know lined up to 90 degrees. So the orthogonal seabed gradient, what they're really talking about is, is that the, the, the seabed gradient is the bathymetry. So the gradient from deep water to shallow water. Okay, so there's a gradient. It kind of, it blends. A gra gradient is something that blends, right? It goes from deep water to shallow water, and it has a certain rate at which it does that. Orthogonal seabed gradient means that the wave that is coming in needs to be 90 degrees to that gradient going from shallow or deep to shallow. Or whatever that gradient is, the wave needs to be 90 degrees to it. It doesn't mean that when you look at a, a bathymetry map um, of, of, of a certain spot that that spot is always going to produce high wave breaking intensities because of the way that this gradient is. The gradient has a big play in that, and that's in section three of this, of this report. But what they're saying here is that what's really important is that that wave needs to come up through that seabed gradient at 90 degrees for it to have high intensity. Hopefully that makes sense. It has to be 90 degrees. Um, and then they describe, you know, what are the different types of waves that break? There's spilling waves, plunging waves, surging or collapsing. Um, really, they're, they're saying the best one is plunging. Plunging waves are the top to bottom kind of waves. It's the tubular waves. It's the ones that throw over. Spilling waves are more kind of mushing waves. So remember, this report is designed mostly for short borders. Uh, and so that's why they're, they, they actually make a statement here that um, plunging waves is, is 
really these you know plunging faces are, are what they they want to do surfers generally prefer waves with steeper plunging faces and that's really shortboard surfers generally prefer waves with steeper plunging faces however spilling faces also work for longboards and for shortboards uh and mid lengths um you know the plunging faces provide more opportunity to experience barrel rides um to do different um, critical maneuvers um those sorts of things so um types of waves vary greatly they did an analysis on world-class surfing breaks um and this was really interesting so this was a this was a, a different study that they refer to they did a they took a bunch of the best surfing locations in the world and they tried to figure out um you know what what breaker intensities they were and they actually created a formula that you can see on the screen if you're listening to this you can't see it but it's um it's basically a a formula that that measures breaker intensity and then they were able to show different surf breaks around the world what their breaker intensities were um, and it was pretty interesting and they, they talk about the the wave vortex ratio so if you look at the curve of a wave of say a plunging wave that's barreling there it makes a wave vortex and the ratio between the height and the width of the vortex um, that's what's called the vortex ratio and they say that the vortex ratio is a good indicator of breaker intensity so it's a really really uh, it was really a, a linear relationship meaning a, a core correlation that was seen when the vortex ratio was plotted against the orthogonal seabed gradient aha so that's how they determined that orthogonal seabed gradient was the dominant variable that determined breaker intensity um, it's not the only one uh, you can you can get you can have some other things that affect breaker intensity, but that was uh, what they did there. So I thought that was really interesting, and maybe in another in another podcast we can go over breaker intensity uh, in this kind of concept. Um, they they do talk about how wave height and wave period if they incorporate that into the method it would improve it and that's what i was thinking about like when i think of breaker intensity i think of swell period and people that have taken my level two course know why because i talk a lot about the swell period in that course and and what the period will do to the to the wave and what to look for and how it how it acts but um I thought that was that was an interesting little mention that they they put in there. They suggest that method might be improved by incorporating wave height and period, uh, but in reality, orthogonal seabed profiles make up um, the, the the most dominant. Um, the shallower water gradient has more of an effect than the deep water gradient. So this is something that to to think about is that when we think about gradient, when we think about bathymetry. There there's an offshore kind of deep water what they say macro scale gradient there's a mid kind of not where you're surfing not where you're taking off but just outside of that area that's called the meso scale or meso area uh, of gradient and then there's the micro scale gradient and what they're saying here is that the shallower water the the micro scale the meso and the micro scale gradients have more of an effect than the macro or deep water um, gradient profiles 
the classifications for breaker intensities are medium, medium, high, high, very high, and extreme. So they, in another study, they showed extreme would be like pipeline, chopu. Um, medium, they described a spot in New Zealand that I've never surfed, but um, as medium, where it's still a plunging wave. Now, this is not, you know, I would say, I would say, medium low and low would be more of a spilling kind of a wave more a mushy wave um so this these are they start at medium because they're talking that there is a vortex ratio there's no vortex ratio on a spilling kind of wave on a wave that kind of crumbles from the top um they also talk about wind strength and direction of that wind affect breaking intensity so offshore winds increase breaking intensity that makes sense because it holds it up longer it holds it up longer and then when it finally breaks it's breaking in shallower water it's breaking over a shallower gradient orthogonal gradient and so therefore it increases the uh, intensity and whereas onshore waves push the wave over sooner so it ends up breaking in deeper water and it reduces the breaker intensity so all this should should really start to make sense and again they're trying to describe a good surfing wave from a bad surfing wave and so so far they've talked about height they've talked about peel angle and they've talked about wave breaking intensity and again i kind of have a question mark in my notes no swell period question mark but that would be i think a big one and maybe there's new studies that look at that i haven't i haven't found them yet though the last section is wave section length section length so we all talk about like different sections of a wave oh, oh that that the beach breaks very sectiony you know oh i got a good section on that wave and when you're learning to catch waves you don't really notice these things when you're at the very beginnings when you're kind of low intermediate you're starting to recognize them when you're intermediate you're starting to really recognize it and when you're advanced you actually look for different sections at different takeoff zones especially if it's crowded um, you look for at a point break you look for areas where it is sectioning and so it kind of breaks the crowd up um, makes the waves shorter but it spreads out the repetition a bit more Peaks in wave crests cause waves to break in sections. Peaks in wave crests cause waves to break in sections. So think about this for a section, a second. When you're looking at a swell line coming into the beach, if you see one side of the line taller than the other, then let's say one, you know, there's a swell, right? You see one part of the swell higher than say let's say it's higher on the right than near the left side of the swell that's coming in that's most likely going to be a right because the peak happens way over on the right and it and it actually is like a gradient it goes down to the left right but if you see kind of a peak to the right and then the peak right in front of you and then maybe a peak way over on the left that's more likely to be a closeout or a certain sectiony kind of a wave. If you start to see a peak right in front of you and no peaks to the left or right of you, then that's going to be player's choice, left or right. So these are the things that we look for to help us determine what direction the wave's going in, as well as other things, but this is one. But 
it just basically says that peaks and wave crests cause waves to break in sections. Makes total sense, right? And, and this isn't this isn't rocket science, but we're trying to connect what you guys see on a daily basis to what they've determined makes a good wave, so that you can identify the good waves from the bad waves. A new section begins when there's a change in wave height, peel angle, or breaker intensity. All right, so a new section begins when there's a change in wave height or peel angle or breaker intensity or a combination of those. So think about this. Okay, so a new section begins when there's a change in wave height. That's what we just talked about. It would be a peak and a wave crest. Right. Um, a new section begins when there's a new peel angle. Remember, waves don't peel at, say, 45 degrees for the whole way. I mean, that would be amazing. That's a beautiful point break. <laughs> right? But it might break at 45 and then it might drop down to 30 and get really fast. And then it'll fatten up to, say, 70 and you got to cut back. Right? And so every time the peel angle changes, it would be considered a new section, quote unquote. Now that section you may or may not be able to take off on, but it is a new section. Hmm. Starting to put it together. This, this has a huge role. When you combine all these things together, they have a huge role on where you position yourself in the lineup. Huge. Uh, a new section begins when there's a change in breaker intensity. That, you see that all the time. I talk about this at, at beach breaks, how there are shallow spots and deep spots. And they aren't linear. It's not like a reef break where the reef doesn't really change and the, the depths don't, don't really change. They're kind of static in place. And the variables then are the swell direction um, as well as the tide. But a beach break, you get a ton of these holes. And you could have a wave that starts to rear up that wave height kind of pops up and the breaker intensity ends up throwing over really hard maybe it hits a really shallow section and it breaks hard but you're way on the inside and then what happens it hits the deep spot and that's that wave told that white water disappears and then you catch the reform hey that's that's a change in breaker intensity and that's a change in a section right and you could heck you could be riding on the wave and you can notice that a different, oh, this is the part where it it has a little bit more lip. I'm going to do more of a re-entry, a vertical re-entry. Oh, this is the part where it's kind of soft. So I don't want to do a vertical re-entry or else I'm going to end up at the back. You can see how these things affect how we ride the wave and how we set up to catch waves. Cool. So that's that's the, the breaker parameters. Uh, and then it goes into... Um, relating section, basically section two, relating surfing waves or waves that we surf to surfers. Okay. So this has to do with surfer skill level. So this is section two skill level and surfing maneuvers. We've kind of already talked a little bit about that, but let's outline it. So different surfing waves suit different types of surfers. Duh. Uh, and surfers prefer, prefer to ride waves that match or challenge their abilities. Absolutely. I agree with that hundred percent. The range of wave heights, peel angles, breaking intensities, and section lengths that a surfer can successfully negotiate depends on skill level. I would agree with that. I agree with that. 
there were some studies that classified um, surfable limits for beginners, intermediates, and experts, and they described those based on peel angles and wave height. Uh, I've taken a look at that. It's it's interesting, but not we don't have enough time to incorporate that into it. But but just know that there there's there are different um, peel angles that are more associated to beginner or intermediate surfers than they are to advanced or pros or expert surfers. Um, it's kind of like when you go to a wave pool and you're like, okay, well, which wave profile do I want to pull up? Right. And that is sometimes driven or primarily firstly driven on skill level. So these, these different um, studies that they, they outlined, there's three different studies. And in summary, the three studies led to these conclusions. The higher the skill level, the longer the sections that can be made. The higher the skill level, the longer the sections that can be made. That makes total sense. That's why you see the pros. I see the pros surf at spots that I've surfed at, and they're starting way further up the point or way further up the beach than I would would ever have started. Why? Because their skill, skill level is so high and they can generate so much speed in the sections that I cannot that they can make sections that I can't. Right. Second point that they concluded, surfers with high skill levels do not require as much speed coming into a section because they have more ability to generate speed. Uh, another one that kind of my example outlines is that they have, they have such high skill levels, they don't require as much speed coming into a section because if they do bog, they can generate speed a heck of a lot faster than I can. And, and that's based on skill. That's based on skill. Uh, and then the third conclusion was surfer, uh, surfers with a skill level of three or less, meaning a beginner in their classification system, cannot make sections. Okay, this was an important one, and you have to think about this for a second because I was like, wait, wait, wait. I always give people the benefit of the doubt. Beginners can't make sections. Yeah, because beginners, they're not really surfing down the line. They're working more on a what they call later uh, functional maneuvers. A functional maneuver would be catching the wave and getting to your feet, right? And so they're not really surfing down the line. They don't know how to generate speed. Intermediate surfers, they're kind of learning how to do those things. And so they're able to make sections, but they can't make as many sections. And as you go up the skill level scale, the sections that you can make or not make uh, increases. So all of those things make sense to me. And then they get into surfing maneuvers. Um, types of maneuvers surfer performs are dependent on ability, style of surfing, and wave type. So the types of maneuvers are based on uh, ability, style, and wave type. Um, and then they go on to you know some some kind of non-value added explanations. Uh, but they did find these three types of maneuvers, functional, expressive, and transitional. And I liked, I liked how they broke this down. Functional maneuvers, and, and I have to describe it for you because when we get into how these relate to peel angle, breaker intensities, wave, uh, wave height, and section length, this is the terminology they're using. Functional maneuvers are required for anyone to surf. A functional maneuver... They're saying such as speed weaving is required to simply keep it, keep up with a breaking wave. Okay. I would say uh, uh, even more functional maneuver would be just getting to your feet, the takeoff, 
you know, and getting stable on your feet. But they're using a functional maneuver as like speed weaving, which is like speed generation. Speed weaving would be going back and forth and back and forth, kind of doing S turns. It performs the function of staying in the powerful section of the wave. Functional. Okay, makes sense. A more expressive maneuver, such as an aerial, is performed solely to fulfill the surfer's need to perform a difficult feat. You know, it's not, it's not necessary. And now, actually, they make aerials functional to keep up with the breaking wave. Um, but there, this was back in 2003 when people weren't doing aerials as a functional maneuver. Um, but that makes sense. There are expressive maneuvers that you can just kind of flare out and you let the wave go. And there are functional maneuvers that really kind of keep you in the pocket, that keep you near the breaking point of the wave. Maneuvers such as top turns and bottom turns can be considered as transitional moves that are the uh, that are uh, used to link together functional maneuvers with expressive maneuvers. So um, top turn, bottom turn, yeah, they're transitional, but they're also very functional. Um, it says here each maneuver can be categorized as functional, transitional, or even expressive depending on when it's being done. So they even go, they, they, they describe these three types of categories of maneuvers but they also say that you know any maneuver can be kind of described as any of the three just depending on where you do it on a wave i would say even how you do it so a bottom turn may be functional when dropping into a wave transitional when preparing for an error or expressive when executed under certain conditions and we've seen that we've seen like donovan do this like soul arching bottom turn that's pretty expressive he didn't need to do it that way but he did it that way <laughs> so it was expressive and transitional there's a really cool uh visual on the screen right now a relationship between the percentage of each surfing maneuver type and skill level and this was again back in a study from 2002 but i actually really like this i don't think it's outdated at all skill surfer level is on the bottom from one to ten and percentage of each surfing maneuver type from zero to 100 percent so you can see, you know, if you're a beginner and you're skill level one to three, you're really just functional maneuvers, getting to your feet, generating speed, learning how to turn down the line. Those are all functional maneuvers. Then transitional mover maneuvers in skill level four um, are a low percentage of your moves, but not, but mo most of your moves are still functional. When you're five and six, most of your maneuvers are still mostly functional. Once you get up to six, you get probably about half of your maneuvers are functional, a small portion are transitional, and you're starting to get into expressive maneuvers. So six would be like a high intermediate uh, to, to advanced. Uh, seven, eight, nine, it kind of hits this peak where most of your moves, like 70% or more, are expressive with uh, about 10% is transitional and 20% is functional. Um, and then you get into kind of the 10 zone where it's like almost 80% is expressive. 10% is transitional and 10% and is functional. And again, it just depends on how you use it. But I thought that was really, this is a really good visual for it. Uh, category of maneuver also changes depending on surfer skill level. Surfers with low skill levels perform more functional, while those at higher skill levels perform more expressive. That's what we just described. A basic functional maneuver to an expert surfer will be an expressive maneuver to a beginner. 
So that's an interesting one. A basic functional maneuver to an expert surfer will be an expressive maneuver to a more of a beginner. Yeah, kind of makes sense. Then it kind of it jumps into peel angle and peel how peel angle and maneuvers can be related. Um, the, the maneuvers represent the division in peel angles where a maneuver where a maneuver can be performed. For example, although the word cutback is used here, in the analysis, it is just as likely that a surfer will perform a roundhouse for a given wave scenario. Um, when surfing through a speed section, meaning a low peel angle, a surfer can speed weave, uh, perform a floater or foam bounce, or experience a bear ride if the breaker intensity is high enough. So that's talking about you know, your peel angle being more on the low end in that 30 to 40 degree, 45 degree there, you're not going to do a cutback when it's barreling. You know what I mean? You, you, you're not, you're not even really going to do a re-entry because you're going to, you need to continue your, your momentum down the line because the wave is peeling quickly. But once you hit that kind of slower section, once you hit that peel angle where it's in that 45 to 60 degree range, as they outlined here, oops, uh, I'm sorry, the 55 to 60 degree range here, that's the, it, the wave slows down. If you do a re-entry there, you're, it's not going to be steep. You're going to fall out the back, but a cutback would bring you back into the power source of the wave. So all this kind of makes sense, right? And says maneuver type is also related to breaking intensity, which they just described. You know, for example, if the breaker intensity is high enough, you could maybe get a barrel ride, right? So for a given peel angle, a surfer may perform a top turn on a wave with a medium breaking intensity, uh, a reentry uh, if the break breaking intensity is higher, or a barrel if the braking intensity is extreme. So let's let's review that one again. So for a given peel angle, so if the peel angle is static, let's say the peel angle is in that kind of speed to reentry kind of zone in that 45 degree zone. Okay, so let's say peel angle is 45. So that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to barrel. It just means that the wave is moving moving at a certain rate, right? So that the, the peel rate is moving at a certain rate because the peel angle is 45 degrees. So let's say given that peel angle, a surfer may perform a top turn on a wave, you know, uh, if the wave has medium breaker intensity, it pushes back a bit, right? If it's higher, it might be a vertical reentry where they have to, you know, they hit it and they come down immediately, right? Uh, or a barrel, if the breaker intensity, meaning the vortex ratio is large, then you can get barreled, right? So so remember, breaker intensity is vortex ratio. We're thinking of just plunging waves right here, not waves that, that spill, just plunging waves. So this thing is kind of barreling, so you can do a top turn right in front of it. Uh, if, it's, if it's medium intensity, like maybe Bells, Bells Beach would be one that's maybe medium intensity. Um, uh, a higher intensity could be like Karamas uh, on the edge, not a, not when it's barreling, but when it's you know it's about to barrel and you do this vertical reentry and get under it. And then of, of course Karamas when it barrels could be uh, an even it would be the extreme uh, breaking intensity. So so now you can see how breaking intensity and peel angle kind of work together to determine what sort of serving maneuver you do. Now when I looked at this. I was just concerned with the takeoff, right? Because I, I teach in my level two. I teach 
how do you take what are the easiest places to take off well peel angle you look for a certain peel angle for the takeoff zone and that makes it way easier much easier and i would they limit it to 60 degrees you could i think anywhere from 45 to 90 you can take off on in terms of a peel angle but anything shorter than that you don't have enough time to get to the bottom of the wave and get down the line before it closes out unless it's barreling um, i would argue that maybe you can get a 40 or even 35 degree peel angle if it is barreling so again that's combining breaker intensity with peel angle and the reason that is is that you're not going to the bottom of the wave you're actually you know in certain scenarios you're catching the wave and you're you're locking right in and you're going through the barrel to make the section um and sometimes you go to the bottom of the wave and then pull up into the barrel. In those instances, that peel angle needs to be a little bit higher because you need to make it down to the bottom of the wave before that section closes out on you. Hopefully all this makes sense. And you're able to, to visualize it a bit. Cool. So last section, um, last section of this section, of section two, um, configuration of wave sections. Um, they basically just say variation in any of the four surfing wave parameters creates a new section. That's what we just talked about. So I'm not going to really reiterate that, but it does show um, figure six kind of how that might play out. So I'm, I am showing something on the screen. This is of Raglan in New Zealand. And it shows five different sections. And what you see here, what's kind of neat, is that the first section, you actually visually see the peel angle. Um, and you see the different swell lines that are coming into the bay. And then below it, you see someone doing kind of speed weaving. Underneath speed weaving, it says the section length is medium to long, the breaker intensity is medium to high, and the peel angle is 30 to 45 degrees. Then it, the wave moves in down the reef, into section two. In section two, you can actually visibly see the peel angle is much larger. Down below, it shows the peel angle is 55 to 65 degrees. The breaker intensity is now low to medium, so it's got really soft on us, and the section length is short to medium. So it's, it's soft for a little while. So that's when you would want to cut back, right? So based on these parameters, you would do a maneuver. Then section three, the peel angle is very tight. It's 30 to 45 degrees. The breaker intensity is high to extreme, so it does start to throw over, and the section length is short to medium. So if you're doing your cutback and you're not prepared for section three in this next section to get barreled, it's going to leave you behind. How many times has that happened to you? <laughs> happened to me, you know? And that's how you, that's how you start to read waves. Is you start to know when these sections come. Well, how do you know when these sections are coming? Right? Those are the things that you look for in on the wave when you're riding it. Also, your familiarity with the break. Then the next section, section four, the peel angle opens up to 45 to 55 degree. The breaker intensity drops to medium, and the, the, the section length is short to long. And so this is all re-entries, the rios. It's like boom, 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 and just super fun, steep. Right? And then you get to section five where the peel angle um, opens up a little bit, 45 to 60 degrees. The breaker intensity increases a bit, medium to high. Section length is short to medium. It's near the end of the wave and you start doing floaters. 
cool. So th- I thought that was pretty cool. And so that's that's just kind of how you can put it all together. And that's what this next set, this next this last kind of section of section two talks about. Figure six illustrates how section length, peel angle, and breaker intensity can affect maneuver type. Pretty much, surfers are likely to perform the maneuver shown in that figure six for the corresponding wave sections, but not not always. There's no guarantee. There's there's no one way to surf a wave. That's the art of surfing the wave. All right, so the next kind of lead into section three is the characteristics of, of breaks that you can surf at. And they, they're just kind of doing an introduction for this last section. Remember, this last section are the seabed features and components that make up good surfing waves from bad surfing waves. So the characteristics of surfing breaks, they're saying beaches with parallel contours don't produce good surfing breaks. Why? Because they're all closeouts. You know, peel angle is too low for surfing. Waves simply close out as the wave crest breaks all at once rather than peeling. More interesting, uh, bathymetric features are needed to cause waves to break along the wave crest rather than all at once. Makes sense. Makes total sense, right? All good surfing breaks have preconditioning components and or shallow water features that cause waves to peel. People ask me all the time, why do you know where to go? Well, because there are certain preconditioning components leading that way, that swell into the beach. But then there are also shallow water features, micro scale features that I can visibly see based on the way the wave is breaking. Okay, so whether it's through experience or I see the way the wave is breaking, I associate there must be some sort of feature under there. Am I doing all this math? No. I mean, my brain is, but I'm not out there with a calculator and a protractor. These are just observations that people make. And this is why, and they go on to say, this is why most good surfing spots are near prominent features like river mouths, deltas, coral rock reefs, points, rock ledges, piers, jetties, beaches, where large-scale bar, sandbar rip features are created by different you know, different scenarios. All right. it, what's interesting is the majority, you know, if you think about this, the majority of waves, and they, they outline this right, right, right here, the majority of waves that break on shorelines are not suitable for surfing. It's crazy. You look at Google Maps and you're always searching for new spots. You're like, oh, this would be really good. But it's the, maybe the features underwater that make it unsuitable for surfing. In order for waves to break well for surfing, wave height, peel angle, and breaking intensities must be within the surfable range, which we just talked about. We talked about top surfers can ride waves ranging from a very low to an extremely high dangerous brain breaker intensity um, and, and large heights. I mean, when I think about that, I think of Mason Ho. Like I'd say 95% of the waves that he surfs, none of us can surf. You know, he makes it look super fun and, we, and then we go out and try and we get hurt or we can't surf it. <laughs> And he he doesn't hurt his board most of the time for himself, which is crazy. Uh, The major surfing wave parameter that differentiates a surfable from a non-surfable wave is peel angle. Okay, so peel angle of those four they've just outlined is probably the number one thing from a surfable to a non-surfable. 
Uh, and I would say low peel angle versus you need a certain minimum peel angle. You can surf a wave that's a 90 degree peel angle. It just doesn't peel. It's just not as fun. Um, but you can kind of speed weave back and forth. And if you're on a good board or a fun board, it could be, um, it could be, it could still be fun. Um, although it says here, although peel angles can be too high to, to challenge more advanced surfers. So that's, that's the challenge of a high peel angle. Um, is it wouldn't really challenge you. You'd get kind of bored with it for a bit, but it would give you time on your feet. Uh, high peel angles do not necessarily prevent surfers from riding waves, whereas low peel angles do prevent surfers from riding waves. Makes total sense. Closeouts. Now I always say, hey, don't don't pass on an opportunity to get to your feet. Go out even if it's closing out. But there are some closeouts that, man, it is tough to get to your feet and get to the bottom of the wave in time. If the height and the breaker intensity is really high, a closeout is not even going to allow you to get to the bottom of the wave in time. Um, so those are the days that you pass on, unfortunately. And, and I, ch- I would say I challenge you to go out on certain days and, and see what your limit to that is. Um, because again, the more times you can get your feet in the wax, the faster you're going to progress. All right. So now they get into the components, the reef and breaking components that make a good surf break. Now this can get a little bit convoluted. Um, but I want to go over. Yeah, I want to go over it right now because, yeah, there's a lot of – this might be another podcast episode as well going in deeper into this. But this is – I think is is, is quite interesting. So um, the major uh, bathymetric features that cause surfing breaks to form good surfing waves are each component was distinguished by its shape and function. They are – those components are ramp, platform, wedge, focus, ledge, ridge, and pinnacle. And when I read this, I was like, oh, jeez. Science being science, just putting words to all this stuff. But if you go into the study and you go to the, the, the corresponding studies that describe these things and show you the, the, the visuals of them, it starts to really make a lot of sense. And I'll actually pull pull up a, um, an example. Depending on the configuration, orientation, and size of these components, um, this study found that different waves, wave types are produced, right? And so it's really a combination of all of these different components that make up different kinds of waves. Um, the favored orthogonal direction is the wave alignment that produces the best quality surfing wave over a reef component. So again, orthogonal direction of the swell. So the swell has to hit at 90 degrees to the component for it to break well. Um, Any deviation from the optimum alignment will cause an increase or decrease in ideal peel angle. This leads to waves breaking more quickly or slowly than desired for high performance surfing. Makes total sense. All this makes total sense. I'm going to, well, let's talk a little bit about these. So ramp, it says, um, really, it says here, it describes what a ramp is. And if you have to think, this is a, a bathymetric feature. This is the bathymetry under the water. Like it looks like a ramp and they show you a visual of what a ramp is, but it's a ramp up in seabed gradient. Okay. It's like a, it's a ramp. 
but it's not a super fast ramp. It's just a ramp. Um, the directional spread of offshore waves is aligned orthogonally to ramp contours prior to breaking on another component. So keep that in mind that a ramp feature needs another component for waves to break. Right? So waves do not break on a ramp. They cause waves to refract onto other components. That's what a ramp is. But it is a component, so they include it. A focus. It's a seabed ridge. I know this is confusing because they use ridge elsewhere. But this is a seabed ridge that causes a peak in wave height and lowers the effective gradient, making it easier for a surfer to take off. Woohoo. Now think about that. Like I actually just saw it in the El Salvador event. There were focuses all over that cobblestone. When it was kind of all wonky, you were noticing that they were taking off with one or two strokes in this one particular You were like, oh, they're not going to be able to catch it. They're barely pa Whoa, they caught that. Well, I know why they caught that. Because they were on a focus. They identified where that focus is. Um, Mamaroka, which was one of the features that they kept aligning to, could be considered somewhat of a focus or really more of a pinnacle. It says focuses can also occur at any section of the surfing ride, which we saw also in Yagadora's ride. He rode into Mamaroka and then did that big crazy air. Okay, um, so that is uh, uh, what a focus is. A platform is a flat horizontal plane and therefore has little effect on advancing waves. Um, platforms join different components together. So platforms and ridge and ramps are kind of similar, where they don't they they, they bring they bring waves to refract into or away from certain components. So a platform isn't going to be um, a feature that can be used by itself. Platform's main two functions are to one, maintain wave orthogonals. So it maintains um, an orthogonal established by a rope uh, ramp or a focus. And two, it allows sufficient depth of water for waves to break above a ledge so it brings it up to a ledge a platform does um in the first situation where it maintains wave orthogonals it, it, the optimal platform is just deeper than the depth where the waves will break at a particular site so in in level two i talk about what is the depth requirement for a wave to break um it's 1.3 times the height of the wave uh, for shallow water. So for example, a 10 foot wave breaks in 13 feet of water. What they're describing right here with an optimal platform, when the platform is maintaining a wave orthogonal, they're saying that the, the, the wave is in like 14 feet of water. That would be the platform. The platform would be 14 feet. It's not quite 13 feet. So the wave's not going to break. A 10 foot wave's not going to break, but it'll start to peak up, right? It'll start to, um, it'll start to cause the shoaling into and then the focus or the wedge or some other component that makes it break. So the wedge is similar to a ramp. Um, it, it's tilted down in the offshore direction, they say here, which I'm like, all right, well, aren't they all, all these features tilted down, down, but they're, they're not really always tilted down in the offshore direction. Sometimes they're tilted to the side. Um, it differs from a ramp because it's at an angle to the favored orthogonal direction and in shallow enough water for the wave to actually break. So a wedge is a ramp that's in shallower water. <laughs> that's the main thing. This is the main wave uh, 
breaking component of most surf breaks is a wedge. Um, the orientation of the wedge determines the amount of refraction of the wave and therefore the wave peel angle. Uh -huh. So wedge has a big determinant of peel angle. Then we go on to ledges. A ledge is a very steep wedge. <laughs> so now you're starting to see, well, there's differences. They're all kind of similar. Um, it's a steep wedge with a platform extending shoreward from its top edge. Little to no refraction can occur, blah, blah, blah. So there's a ledge is like something that goes super deep to shallow and kind of like spills over. So plunging waves, like top to bottom, high breaker intensity kind of waves would break on a ledge. But if there's not enough wave height, it would just kind of surge or collapse onto the wave and not really break. So that's kind of what it is. A ledge must have a gradient greater than one to four or waves are likely to surge and collapse instead of break. Ridge is similar in shape to a focus, but oriented so that it does not cause wave convergence. Um, the ridge provides a section of steeper gradient causing a decrease in peel angle. Okay, so it slows the peel angle up and increases breaker intensity. So this would be good for a ridge is a great section for kind of like a barrel that if it increases the breaker intensity and it slows the peel angle. So if the peel angle is going really, 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 really fast and then it slows it slows it down so you can kind of sit in the barrel and kind of play with it. You know, there are some barrels that you have to just race and there's some barrels that you can kind of kind of just sit back and enjoy the view. A ridge would be one where you can kind of sit back and enjoy the, the view. Pardon the interruption. This is Editing Rob. Checking to see if you saw Recording Rob's mistake. Recording Rob said that that wave that was barreling would actually slow down. In fact, it would be the opposite. It would speed up. The ridge provides a section of steeper seabed gradient causing a decrease in peel angle, not an increase in peel angle. A decrease in peel angle means that the peel rate, the rate at which the wave peels down the point or down the sandbar is going to speed up. And so when it says causing a decrease in peel angle, that wave is actually going to go quite quickly and still increase in breaker intensity as well. So that was a test. <laughs> now back to the show. And then finally, a pinnacle increases breaker intensity in a way similar to a ridge, except that it's more abrupt and affects a smaller area. So pinnacles like a, a rock or a reef area or a sandbar or a, a, I don't know, a submerged ship or something. <laughs> um, so pinnacles are, are kind of more isolated. So I'm going to show, let me show something really quick. So this actually shows kind of a, an example of these features. So here you have a ramp. These er, this arrow is the orthogonal direction. The big arrow is the orthogonal direction. So there's this big arrow kind of going uh, up. And there are lots of little small arrows around it. Um, and then it shows a focus. So if you're listening to this, 
this is going to be really difficult for me to describe, but there's a focus that the waves kind of all um, bend into, right? They re refract into the focus. The stars um, show the, the path of the breaking wave of kind of how it goes. And so it starts at the focus and then it hits um, the platform goes up onto kind of a wedge and then it goes into a ridge and then it goes back to a wedge. And as the wave goes down the platform, so the ramp is kind of all the offshore stuff. And then it goes in the platform is on the inside, but further down the wave. And so the, the parts where the wave is actually breaking are on the focus, the ridge and the wedge, and there's a certain peel to it. So you can see here, it can get pretty complex. When you think about this, I'm showing a different view now of just a, a, a map with some bathymetry, um, but it's showing kind of when you're looking at bathymetry of an area, if you were to zoom out, you're looking at the macro scale and there could be like a wedge or a feature that's in a macro scale or a ramp. And then you come into the kind of the mesa scale and it could be a different feature. And then you come into the micro scale and it could be the ridge. And so there's, there are different features based on how much you zoom into an area. I'm showing another visual here of, of Raglan um, where you have the macro scale components out on the outside, the meso are closer in and then they circle the micro scale components. So when we're surfing, we're really looking for the micro scale components and the meso scale components that create the wave, the way the wave breaks. The macro scale is kind of more, you need to research that um, more for the area. And in level two, I talk about when we look at a report, we look at the swells that are in the water. How is it going to affect the beach that we're going to go to? And we should have an image in our head of what the wave should look like before we even go out because that provides us with strategy once we're out there um, and then confirm or deny whether our initial thought was correct or not. Well, that's macro, meso, and micro all in application. And this last visual I'm showing, and these are not from the same study that we were just reviewing, but this last one is, is again, it's, it's um, a micro scale components for that same break. So there are a ton of different things. There's focuses, there's ridges, there's, and I don't, there's a hole. I can kind of see it, but I can't really see it. I think you need to really um, get used to this terminology and what each one of these things are to really understand what these are. But my point is that you don't really need to go into that kind of detail. Just know that if the wave direction is coming from a certain area, it's going to hit certain components differently than other components. That's why when you're looking at the, the surf forecast and you're like, oh, the surf line saying it's going to be really good this weekend. Then you go to your break and you're like, it wasn't as good as they, they said it was going to be. Well, it's because either the direction or the period or the height um, weren't hitting those components for that particular break, though optimally. So every break kind of has their own kind of um, variables. And those variables and and a variable would be tied also. Those variables determine things like peel angle and breaker intensity and section length, right? And so everything we've, we've kind of talked about, everything that we've, we've discussed up to this point, if you're still awake, 
it's all coming together and it should all starting to be coming together that there are all these little things that we look for. And I know we can't see underwater, but we can see how waves break and we can maybe think to ourselves, maybe there's a shallow spot there. Maybe there's a ramp up. Oh, I know why it's not breaking as good this week than last week. And then you start to put things together. Um, there are, there are definitely this concept that it's, it's the combination holistically that of, of all these components that produces high quality surfing waves, um, size, orientation, configuration of the components. Um, but, but that also determines peel angle. Those components determine peel angle and breaker intensity and, uh, section length that we talked about earlier. It's pretty crazy. So, you know, it goes on, um, you know, there are tidal impacts, um, that sorts of things. And it goes on to show an example, uh, for, uh, for Manu Bay in, uh, in Raglan that I just showed you kind of already done all that. Um, and then I showed you figure nine and, um, the last point I, I have in my notes is that it says, however, um, well, it says the body of knowledge about the ways surfing breaks create surfing waves is large enough to be used to predict the possible effects of coastal activities on surfing breaks and to design artificial surfing reefs. There you go. There's, there was the main kind of point of this report is <laughs> that they're just saying, Hey, we got to learn about all this stuff so we can put the right kinds of things in and we're the, we're the right company to do it basically is what they've said. They said, however, at this time, practical applications of this information are limited. Hey, not anymore. Not anymore. Now you got wave pools and wave pools have gotten into great depth onto how waves break, how we can get the best peel angle, how we can get the best breaker intensity, how it can change, how we can get the best wave section length at certain heights of the waves. And we can do different maneuvers based on different skill levels and based on different peel angles and breaker intensities and section lengths and heights of the waves. Right? So no longer are we kind of in the dark about this stuff. People are applying it all the time. And, and more so, if you go to a wave pool, you will notice this a lot more because the waves are the same or similar. When you go out into the ocean, you will start to notice these things. And you'll start to connect why the day was good or why the day was bad or where to break or where, uh, where to take off from, where to surf. You know, are there breaks on the inside that the crowd hasn't noticed where the breaker intensity is high enough that you can get good peel angles, right? And it's within your skill level. So this knowledge opens up a whole bunch of options for you if you can apply it the right way. And that's what we talk about, the techniques from this information that we use in the lineup to catch more waves, the most waves, with the least amount of effort. That's what we talked about in level two. But I think just based on the discussion we had today, you can go out and you can begin to piece it all together. So of course, if you have any questions, I know this was a lot of information. If you are still awake, if, you know, I felt like this was like a lecture class and, you know, out of a hundred students, I may have two left at the end here. And 
you too, you're going you're to get A's in this class because you stayed the whole time. You're going to get most waves because you, you, you listen the whole time and you're going to be able to process this. And those of you that dropped out about halfway, yeah, you'll get more waves, but not as much as the, the, the two of you that left, that are, are left standing, that are left awake at the end of this lecture. So I thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you guys have any questions, please reach out. And until next time, I'll see you in the water.